Welcome to the Remarkable Relationship Show with Mercy Russell, where we find the wonder in your story. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 35 years of experience applying the science of relationship systems to my practice of psychotherapy and leadership consulting. My intuitive skills allow me to bring clarity and vision to your challenges. I hope you will be surprised in the next hour. Hi, I'm Mercy Russell, and this is the Remarkable Relationship Show. Today, I'm going to be talking about narcissism. And my particular perspective uh, is a systems view of narcissism. And I'll be doing this. I'll be here, I'm alone here today. Um, and I will also um, will be I'll be presenting in three segments today. We'll have a couple breaks, but after the second break, um, I will have phone lines open. So if you're interested in calling in and uh, Benny will let you know what the phone number is. I don't have that. I can do that right that. now. Sure. We can get okay, people prepped right up. Ahead. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah. It's uh, 888-298-5569, which conveniently spells out KKNW. That's 888-298-5569. Great. Thank you, Benny. Um, God, it's nice knowing you're so close by. <laughs> so anyway, we're talking, I'm talking about narcissism today. And I just need to say, I feel like I'm walking into a lion's den. I, this is a very current topic. Um, and I think of great interest to many people. It's also one that brings up a lot of emotion. Um, uh, and I have a, a, an alternative view. I'm trained as a psychiatric social worker. So I've been familiar with this um, diet, with this disorder and its diagnosis for over 30 years. The reason that I'm talking about it today is that for some, in the last, I would say five years and perhaps a little more like 10 years, all of a sudden, this is how it feels to me as a veteran in the field, um, there's a lot of talk about this personality disorder. And I think in many reasons, in, in many instances, for good reasons. On the other hand, it has become popular. And uh, I also feel like the term is thrown around um, loosely. And um, that is of concern to me. Um, because I feel that it's a, that in doing that, people are pointing the finger and blaming others who have bad behavior for their own problems. Okay, in short. Um, what, so at any rate, to try to approach this today, I am going to walk through the diagnostic criteria for narcissistic personality disorder and its prevalence as is described by the American Psychiatric Association. Um, and then as I I'll discuss sort of the uh, cur uh, current thinking, um, I think responsible thinking and approach to looking at this through an individual lens. Um, but then I'm also going to bring a systems lens to this. Uh, then I will also try to illustrate this through uh, um, through, you could call it a case, but it's really um, through my, my kind of intimate knowledge of some of these traits in a relationship that I've known, known of for 50 years. So I've seen these sort of traits live out over a lifetime. And um, it just gives us a little bit more of a picture because I know everyone has, everyone who's interested in this topic has a story. Um, so uh, first of all, before I sort of dig into some of the, maybe you might call it fine points, but uh, uh, I think in many respects, it can, they can make a big difference in how one views this type of disorder. I want to acknowledge that the experience of living with and loving a, a person who genuinely has a narcissistic personality disorder can be confusing and painful. And this is true with many people with severe mental illnesses, such as schizophrenia um, or um, anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder. 
Um, so I just want to acknowledge that this is um, that this can be very painful, and that extricating oneself from a relationship like this requires a strong support network. Um, and if the if this person in your life is a co-parent, you you can't just leave and extricate yourself. There are ways to negotiate with this type of person and to lessen the negative impact on your children. So please seek help from a licensed mental health professional if you believe you are in relationship with a person with narcissistic personality disorder. In sort of keeping up to date with the thinking and the speaking from a psychological point of view, an individual theory point of view, I've been following um, Dr. Ramani Durvasula. She has become an expert in the diagnosis and treatment, particularly of those affected by narcissistic personality disorder. While her frame of reference is from individual theory, she has a deep understanding of the experience of particularly um, loved ones of people with this disorder. Now, I say that because it's really not common that someone with this disorder will seek treatment or help. That's not to say that it that they don't, and that there aren't very capable therapists who can work with, the, with individuals with narcissistic personality disorder, but all to say that really the primary people who are seeking help generally are those who are affected in their relationships with people with narcissistic personality disorder. Um, from what I have heard from Dr. Romani, I believe that her coaching for extricating oneself from this kind of stressful relationship is sound. Now, on the other hand, not on the other hand, but in addition, my perspective asks you to find support to understand yourself better during this process and in the aftermath, so that you can make better decisions in intimate relationships in the future. And um, I hope to be able to touch on how you can use your relationship system to manage the dynamics around this afflict afflicted person if it's necessary. So again, why this topic? Well, it's because I've been hearing lay people diagnose others as narcissists. I hear women complaining about bad behavior from boys and friends and boyfriends and husbands. Uh, I, I, um, I'm single and I have um, done some dating in the last several years. I've heard a number of men complain about bad behavior from girlfriends and wives. Um, and this term that they, they are narcissist um, sort of as a, um, as a pointing the finger at the other person um, has come up many more times than I would expect. Um, recently, a friend said to me, quote, lately friends have been telling me harrowing stories about family life with flaming narcissists. So this to me is another indicator of how this awareness of, but also um, sort of epidemic of um, pointing the finger at, of, uh, at others as narcissists, I think is widespread. Now, I don't doubt stories of bad behavior. Um, and also, certain social disorders in high-functioning individuals are evident only in their intimate relationships and family life. So this idea that I've been that they're hearing stories from families that makes sense to me. Um, however, I bristle at the implication that we are all victims of the narcissist, helpless and licking our wounds. It's easy to point the finger, to blame others, and to diagnose others. It's much more difficult to accept the fact that the victims also played a role. For me, a systems view makes it easier to see the bigger picture, to find a way through it, and to accept my role in a painful love relationship. And of course, the ultimate goal would be not to enter another one.
but until I change who I am, I am very vulnerable to attracting the same type of dynamic in the next relationship. So let's just talk about what narcissistic personality disorder is. I want to acknowledge that narcissism is, there are traits of narcissism that um, don't that uh, are widespread in our culture. They're uh, supported by social media. Um, and I think people can have traits of narcissism. Maybe we all do. I think probably we all do. But these criteria are really for one who has, for, for um, somebody who has a very patterned way of relating in the world. Um, so at any rate, this, these criteria, um, are from the American Psychiatric Association, which is responsible for writing the um, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is what the manual that's used by people in behavioral health to uh, give diagnoses. And I do want to give a caveat for that. I, um, that it is a committee decision. So these criteria for diagnoses, I think also need to be taken somewhat with a grain of salt, um, just in general. Uh, and there are some interesting books out there about people who've been misdiagnosed. And at any rate, I do wanna say that the, there, there is some controversy about the use of these diagnoses. I rarely use them. So, and that comes from my systems view. On the other hand, they are the standard in the field, and I think it's important to sort of have an idea, give an overview of what people are talking about when they're talking about this disorder. So these, were, these are the criteria that are used, I think, currently for this disorder. So there are four characteristics of general of functioning in these areas, and so the the the, di the, di the criteria would be that out of two, at least two of these areas, there would be moderate or greater impairment in personality functioning, characterized by difficulties in two, in, the, in two of the following four areas. One would be identity. So, and then that would involve um, an excessive reference to others for self-definition and self-esteem regulation exaggerated self-appraisal, which is either inflated, yeah, I can't do anything wrong, or deflated, I can, I can never do anything right, or vacillating between the extremes. So it's important to know that some it, narcissism isn't always somebody who's grandiose and thinks they're better everybody else than everyone else. There, there's another form of it in which someone's always taking a less than perspective. But what it's hiding is this belief underneath that they are really better than everyone else. Um, and so the self-regulation is um, mirrors the fluctuations in self-esteem. And um, so at any rate, these people are very, it's very difficult for them to regulate their own mood without reference to um, the, the input of external validation. So the second area would be self-direction. Again, this is setting everything, goal setting, um, personal standards are all based on getting approval from others or seeing oneself as exceptional or entitlement. And there are people, these people are often uh, unaware of their motivations. Empathy. This is sort of a key element, particularly with parenting, is that these people sometimes have a, can't, can't truly empathize with other people. They can't recognize or identify the feelings and needs of others. Um, and they can only relate to others as it reflects on them. So the fourth area would be intimacy. So the relationships tend to be superficial and to, and to exist simply to kind of support oneself. So two of those four areas. And, and as you can see, there are different characteristics in each category. So it gives you a lot to choose from. Now, both of the following traits are considered important for this criteria. Grandiosity, which is feeling entitled, um, feeling self-centered, and really believing that one is better than others. And this often comes out in some type of con condescending behavior. And then lastly, attention-seeking. So there can often be very charming 
people. They can, there's this expression, love bombing, where, um, oh, where, um, <laughs> sorry, um, where, you know, these people will make excessive attempts to attract the, the, the love and attention of other people and, and the admiration of other people. So those are the criteria. Um, if you're thinking of somebody who might have this disorder, that gives you an idea of the kinds of behaviors that are really generally addressed and experienced by people living with this. Um, Dr. Romani has also outlined, I think, something else that's important in thinking about this is sort of distinguishing the kinds of relationship problems that um, are that are related to a relationship with a narcissist person um, versus normal ones. Sometimes people think, well, just bad behavior can come up in any relationship. I think the difference is that I thought was sort of that was accurate was that in normal relationships, um, th there was a time when the relationship was good. And during that time, the, your, the partner was empathetic, consistent, kind, respectful. You felt comfortable just being yourself. You didn't, there was no questioning reality or sanity. And there wasn't this sort of, you know, swinging between being adored and despised. Now, in a narcissist relationship, from early on, even when the relationship was good, your sense of reality is tested. Um, you can often be you know, chronically confused by the perceptions of the other person versus your own. Um, and then nothing you do makes things better. When you try to give feedback, the response is rage, right? It's not just a normal conversation. Um, people find that they often have to cut off parts of their lives to make the relationship work and particularly cutting off relationships with significant members of their family or friendships. Um, you, you become convinced that you're the one with the problem. Um, and then there's this gaslighting effect that is very talk, talked about very broadly, which is that the, um, when, when there's a, when you try to, um, confront the other person or talk about a problem, the, the response is to turn it back on you. So it's always about you. It's always, it's a deflection um, that the person never acknowledges the reality of the problem. So those are the kinds of differences. And these are the kinds of issues that people who are coming for help with this with dealing in a relationship will, will, will bring up. So what stands out to me is the narrative that everyone else is a victim of this bad behavior. So yes, narcissists have bad behavior. Um, so do schizophrenics, right? So, um, and they can be very difficult. Um, it can be very difficult to live with this behavior. However, when you diagnose the bad actor in your life with a pathology, everyone else becomes a victim. This relieves everyone of responsibility for the stress that comes from the dynamic. The bad actor is sick and the partner is an innocent loving victim who is fooled. Then everyone is treated for trauma. Actually, sometimes including the bad actor, who believes he or she is also a victim of the rejecting girlfriend or husband. Oh, but wait a minute, the narcissist is virtually untreatable. So this is, this is a dynamic that um, I think is very satisfying to a lot of people. And in the beginning can be helpful to help people get out of this relationship. But on the other hand, I really don't think it's very useful um, in, the long word, in the long run. So I think we're going to take a break now and I'll come back, talk a little bit more about narcissism and um, in particular to talk about an example. 
It's time that you are heard, and I don't mean in just a conversation. I mean really heard. Imagine hosting your very own radio program on Alternative Talk 1150. Talk about being heard. Call 425-653-1150 right now to learn how affordable it can be to host your own radio show. Time slots are going fast, so take hold of this chance by dialing 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Hi, tune in to my new show, The Remarkable Relationship Show, with me, Mercy Russell. I bring a fresh perspective on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m., and you can visit my website at leadershipwithmercy.com. You pledged your life to serve, to make our country stronger, safer, more free, more equal. You worked tirelessly, made sacrifices, missed first steps and birthdays, lost loved ones. At VA, we don't see the setbacks endured. We see lessons applied and passion driving you upward and forward. We don't see all the masks you wear, but we hope you can set some aside. We embrace your uniqueness and won't trivialize your past, your fears, or your hardships. We can't promise to heal all wounds or wash away all trauma, but we do see hope, a path forward, a future. We see all veterans. We see you. An opportunity to help you achieve a new mission, whatever that may be. Learn how treatment works and recovery is possible. Visit maketheconnection.net. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150. Hello, this is Mercy Russell and on Remarkable Relationships, and today I'm talking about narcissism. Um, just a few more things. I, I just want to introduce um, sort of a different, a little bit of a different point of view. Um, first of all, I want to mention that the incidence of narcissistic personality disorder is 1% to 3% in the population, um, and that a woman named Marsha Linehan, who has uh, spent a lot of time um, thinking about this disorder, uh, believes that the, the cause of narcissism is 20% temperament. In other words, you would something that's inborn that comes, whether it's genetic or epigenetic, but then 80% related to parenting. So the general idea is that from individual theory, the mind perspective is that children uh, are not getting a consistent emotional mirroring from their parents. Parents are distracted, addicted, stressed. They then look to the environment for validation, but at the same time resent others for whom they're dependent on their self, their sense of self-esteem. Um, there can be a pattern of over or underindulgence by the parents. Um, and then, of course, the expect the belief is that the childhood environment was not supportive, perhaps abusive, dehumanizing, and that the parent was also not effective at modeling empathy. The parents may have focused on achievement and not emotional connectedness. It's, and we see this particularly in high-functioning people, where it was more important that you got into Harvard than that you cared about the welfare of your teammates. So um, I guess what I in terms of parenting and creating someone with this disorder, I then again would refer you to Dr. Ramani Durvasula for parenting tips to develop empathy in children, particularly if your child appears to have these traits naturally um, or genetically. So, okay, this is the individual perspective. It's that the cause is the bad parent. Now, this particular perspective 
in individual theory has really actually never made sense to me. And perhaps it comes from my childhood of accommodating to an overwhelmed mother who kept it together, fairly rigidly actually. Um, but for her shortcomings, which I could see as a young eldest, I knew she wasn't bad or she, that she had, I knew she didn't have bad intent. I, I could see who she was as my grandmother's daughter and the environment she'd raised. And I knew enough about my grandmother to know how my grandmother had adapted to the stresses that her family was under. So even from a young age, I, it didn't make sense to me to blame my mother. Um, now, when I was a young therapist, I was treating borderline, women diagnosed with borderline personality disorder who were hospitalized on locked units because they were suicidal. And my direction at the time <clears throat> from the individual theory I was being trained in was to be the perfect parent and to give a, correct, a corrective emotional experience to these women. At the same time, I had a three-year-old and I knew I couldn't be the perfect parent to my own child. So it made no sense that I could be a perfect parent to a client, that there was always going to be an empathetic failure. So blaming the mother never quite, never quite made sense to me. Um, I'm gonna tell a story now. Um, I hope to, of course, get to wrap up my systems view, but I wanna tell a story so it'll give us just something to hook on to. I think it's always easier sometimes to think about these things in terms of this, a story. Um, so this is a story of a man that I have known since um, we were in college together. And at that time, he had a girlfriend and I you know, was intimate with her. So these, the features in their relationship at the time um, were, were sort of quite dramatic. Um, he often tested her sense of reality. He saw, he, did, he saw things very differently than the way she did. He was condescending. They were both went to a, they were both very bright and went to a sort of went to an elite school. Um, but he always talked down to her and challenged her about whether she would ever do anything with her life. She had to cut off parts of herself to to be with him, including contact with her family. Um, and it, he convinced her that she was the one who always had the problem. There was this, you know, day, there was, he'd go days without talking to her. Uh, it was sort of a, um, and then, you know, other days when he was, you know, crazy about her. Um, so there was a lot of confusing and denying reality. Now she had a very clear sense of his own wounds and that this was underneath his behavior. And because she was empathetic, she put up with a lot of it and she understood that this was about his hurt at the same time that she was questioning herself a lot. So after a, a year and a half, um, she left. And she left because of his bad behavior, even though she loved him. And this was, you know, she went and lived with friends. It took a while to kind of recover. But over the course of his life, he then became a high functioning professional with an international reputation. And he has been in a long-term marriage. Now, she, I've had contact with his wife in a sort of a difficult moment in their relationship by, by chance. And many of the same relationship features were at work in their, in their, in their marriage. Um, he had, has told me as a friend that he had had multiple extramarital affairs, but his complaint was always of how dishonest women were. And when I at one time confronted him about his own dishonesty with his wife, he simply threw out a very um, pointed barb at me. So there was no ability to self-reflect. Um, and um, he, he, he did express regret that he had done harm to his marriage in, in rejecting his wife with these relationships. The wife wants a divorce, which he refuses because he's afraid to lose the only relationship he has. 
They live separate lives. They have no children. Now, why I pick him out is that he also disclosed that he um, had been diagnosed had been diagnosed as a nar having narcissistic personality disorder. I was kind of curious about that, but this was in the course of being fired from two elite institutions that he worked for. Um, so. Now, what's the, what would be, okay, so he has these features that are described, right, by the psychiatric, you know, the American Psychiatric Association. Um, how, how, okay, so he has these features, and I knew him, I knew his family. How, how did this come about? Now, my view, from a systems point of view, would be a little different. Um, acknowledging the difficulty of the personality traits, both for himself and for others in his life. But my view would be that these personality traits are related to genes, to birth order, and to the influence of chronic anxiety in the nuclear and multi-generational family. And I'll talk a, a little bit about how I saw this in his family. So the individual who meets the criteria has developed a suite of defenses against the strong, overly strong attachment to a parent and the threat of the loss of self they experience because of being overwhelmed in that strong attachment. And this is a very distinctive difference in systems view. It's not a matter of lack of attachment to the parents. It's a matter of a defense against very strong attachment. So while their behaviors in other relationships might look like an inability to attach, in fact, they're exquisitely sensitive to rejection and the loss of an attachment object. And their self-seeking behavior, the narcissistic behavior protects them from feeling annihilated in the closeness of intimacy. So therefore they avoid intimacy and they keep their relationship superficial. Now, I want to mention these traits live on a continuum, right? And so um, how these personality traits and how they play out over the life course will vary a lot, depending on the relationship dynamics in the family and work system. That's what I would be looking for, to see how they would vary in, the, in, in, in playing out over the life course. I do want to acknowledge the, that our current society and culture influences play a large part in providing social rewards for these personality traits. And that the overvaluation of social status in our culture with social media, with celebrity celebritydom, um, provides models from outside the family that can affect um, these can, can affect these people. Um, okay checking my time here. So then what would what difference would this make to me in looking at this particular person and his situation over the over the lifetime? This is what I would look at. What was going on in the multi-generational family? Uh, this man's grandparents walked out of their country, of their native country to escape genocide. They walked for months and they eventually immigrated to the United States. That's an extreme stress. And they were cut off from their, from their, their community, their culture, their society. This man's parents were raised in the United States and became high achieving academics and professionals. This was highly valued in the families. Um, so the son was born as the oldest, while pa the both parents were in graduate school. So parents under a fair, uh, quite a bit of achievement stress having a child. Um, so there you go. So what, what was the mother, you know, what was the mother's availability? You know, regardless of her concern, her love, her own approach, she could have been overwhelmed and not there to, uh, to, develop, to help develop some of the empathy, empathy that was required. He was a high achiever academically in high school, so achievement was always important. That's very common to have a co-occurring, they call it a co-occurring disorder of addiction, 
he had that in college and interrupted it to while he was being treated for it. He finished his pre-med at an Ivy League university, entered a highly competitive professional program. And um, the other particular, so, so he, he, achievement was always very important, but it was also driven by this chronic anxiety in the family. There was extreme stress for in, the, in the generation of the grandparents, cut off from previous generations, a parental stress for achievement and financial stability that the parents were under. This anxiety was transferred to the children. And, and often this type of chronic anxiety lands heaviest on the eldest because it's the first child. Okay, it's time for a break and we'll take any calls and then I can talk about what, what, what can you do and what's, what does the systems view add to this? And now let's give out that number. If you'd like to join uh, Mercy on the show today, it's 888-298-5569. Again, it's 888-298-5569 and we'll be right back. Time is funny. Sometimes it seems fast, another time slow. When it comes to time slots remaining on Alternative Talk 1150, time is running out. In fact, there are just a few primetime slots available. So if you want to host your own radio program, the time to call 425-653-1150 is right now. Nope, no time for excuses. Dial 425-653-1150 to find out how affordable it can be to host a radio show. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Hi, tune in to my new show, The Remarkable Relationship Show, with me, Mercy Russell. I bring a fresh perspective on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. And you can visit my website at leadershipwithmercy.com. We all make promises, big and small, tested over time and distance tried by circumstances and decisions. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I do solemnly swear to bear true faith and allegiance. To help you when you're in need. To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. To be considerate and caring, courageous and strong. For better. For worse in sickness and in health. To love and cherish. To be your loving, faithful friend. Partner. Child. Parent. Neighbor. One of our most important commitments is to support our nation's veterans. Learn how you can help a veteran going through a difficult time by visiting maketheconnection.net. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. Hello, this is Mercy Russell um, with the Remarkable Relationship Show. I'm coming back um, from break. So... I've just been talking about narcissistic personality disorder, and I just sort of gave an example of a um, uh, the life course of someone with these traits from about age 20 to currently. Um, what I want to talk about now is just, and I also was talking about a systems view, which gives a larger multi-generational view of the context of this type of behavior and this disorder. And what, how is that useful? 
So I think that what, the one thing that's shortcoming I see in individual theory is that it supports the idea that the person in relationship with this bad behavior is a victim of it. And yes, people need support for their wounded feelings and their confusion when they come out of the relationship, but they also need to take steps further to recover. This is not just a matter of getting away from a bad person. Um, so what, what is the systems view recommend? And I want to say that this isn't just something that was dreamed up. I think it's something that in a way we call naturalistic that you will see in people who function well around these kinds of disorders. For example, one of the primary um, recommendations from a systems view is that when, let's say one is in a relationship with somebody with these bad behavior traits, that they increase their contact with their extended family and their friendship network. So part of the difficulty of going down this tunnel with someone who has this narcissistic personality disorder is the isolation. And so, and agreeing to it. So as one begins to, to extend and to reach out, one then begins to counterbalance the sort of negative impact in being isolated. So for example, what happened in this case was the, the early college girlfriend who had been isolated was told at Christmas um, that, he, that her um, boyfriend was traveling across the country. They both were from the same section of the country and living in the opposite corner of the country that he was going to go to his family and she could come too, but she couldn't travel the extra 300 miles to visit her family. And she couldn't imagine this. So curiously, her mother sent her sister to spend Christmas with her and a close friend from college came. So these old friends who knew who she was, who knew could kind of help her with this bubble that she was living in, came to visit her and she actually left with them and returned back to live with the friend who was living where she, they had, she had gone to college. And then she eventually went back to her home state to be around her family. So it, that was a big part of what restored her sense of self and counterbalanced the psychological impact of that relationship. Now, this man's wife has curiously done something different. They live in two different states in the same region of the country. And she has taken to spending a lot of time traveling back to her family and playing a very active role in her, in her extended family. So, um, and he tolerates this. I think fundamentally he understands that he doesn't really have a choice. He can choose to not divorce her, um, but he, this somehow keeps her balanced, obviously, with his behavior. And um, now on the other hand, this would be, what, would, what could he do if he decided that there was something about the way he was functioning that was leaving him in such an isolated position? He too could extend his contact with extended family and friendship. Now he has contact with his family, but it's often very conflictual and negative. So he would have to, on some level, have some motivation to continue to be in contact either with siblings, um, to develop his contacts with cousins. He, he does know them, but this kind of thing could also begin to restore some sense of connectedness for him. Um, now, I think that's a little more difficult path. I don't have direct experience treating someone with a narcissistic personality disorder with that. I think they're usually pretty immune to taking these steps. But in fact, they, um, uh, that would be the direction that I would, that I would go in. Um, I think it's really important for people who are in these situations or who have ongoing relationships with someone with this personality disorder to set boundaries. So 
it's very important that the person in the relationship get the support they need to begin to um, have the strength to take a stand. So it's really important. But I think what one of the vulnerabilities that people bring when they get involved in these relationships is a, a, their own dependence on the relationship to solve their life problems. So they have to take that back and begin to take responsibility for their own lives, perhaps of their own financial lives um, and for their own self-esteem. They have to find a way to feed that outside of the relationship and not tolerate bad behavior. You know, the really simple advice in a dating relationship is leave. You can just leave. And then you can kind of treat yourself, do self-care after you've left. But you don't need to stay in a relationship with this kind of bad behavior. No matter how empathetic you are, no matter how much underlying pain you sense of the other person or that you, it's really important that you just leave. For children, they need to seek, you need, they need to seek out, or as a co-parent, you, you need to provide other parental figures for emotional support and modeling, right? You may not be enough if you're a co-parent and divorced from a narcissist. So it's very important that you pay attention to what your children are learning and modeling and provide them with alternates. They're going to live with their father or their mother the rest of their lives, but they can develop other skills and resources. Um, and it's really important to recognize as an, an adult child that your parents' need for external validation is not your responsibility, right? So that's an important, you need to be setting boundaries because I've talked to people who have, you know, they're adults and their parents are narcissists. And especially as they age, they can become very demanding and dependent. So it's very important that, you, that the person in that relationship set realistic boundaries and be really realistic about what one's responsibility is to another person. And if it's a coworker or a business partner, you have a little more flexibility, but it's, setting boundaries again is very important. Sticking to tasks recognize the need for that. If you're really tied into a business relationship, you do have to recognize the need for external validation. So there's a way somehow to manage the personality, to sort of keep things calm, but it's in that direction. But the boundaries being very clear, uh, not expecting empathy, not expecting an intimate relationship is really important as one moves forward. Okay, just finally, I do want to sort of add what you might call a spiritual perspective to this. Like, what is it? You know, is it really simply a matter of bad luck that someone, you know, develops this narcissistic personality disorder, inherits it, is, you know, born into the, you know, unlucky in the family they're born into, or the partner who gets involved? who also was unlucky to have been shaped to be vulnerable to this. No, this is how I see it. <laughs> and I think it this is how, it's a, it's a different type of systems view, but it's mine. This is my, this is my assumption. These players chose this life experience because they, they want, there were, there were some very fundamental things they needed to learn. So the narcissist is here to learn empathy and compassion for others. What's going to motivate that? Loneliness. The loneliness in self-seeking. And I have to say, in speaking about this person that I've known for 50 years, I think that is his primary, that would be his primary pain, is his isolation and loneliness. And if there's going to be motivation to learn empathy and compassion and to confront one's own fear about that, that I think is what the lesson for the narcissist is. Um, for the partner, it would be self-love, learning self-love, not to be dependent on somebody who is, is going to um, give you intermittent reinforcement, right? Some, on some days you'll get reinforced for who you are, you'll be loved and other days not. You have to learn self-love 
every day. And that's your primary source of love. Boundaries, learning boundaries, learning that you can stand up for yourself, learning the difference between yourself and your others, mitigating your empathy. Empathy is useful, but it can get us into a lot of trouble too. And also empowerment. So the partners often come in with a tendency toward victimization, seeing themselves as helpless in respect to this other kind of behavior. But what do they need to learn? They need to learn empowerment. For children, um, what does a child learn in dealing with a parent who's narcissistic? Self-reliance. And children can learn this. They can learn boundaries and self-reliance. Um, don't underestimate the ability of a child to see things as they are and to navigate their environment, to have their needs met in a healthy way. Definitely parents and adults play an important role in this, but our children come in with more capability than we can imagine. So then what, what, do they, what are they learning? They're learning how to not be helpless and how to be empowered even as a young child, even in an extreme situation of dependence. And there are, we have, there are stories of individuals who have been, been able to do this, right? It's not determined that if one has a narcissist parent, one also becomes harmed and, and narcissist. So there are, so then anyway, that's my, uh, I feel like, I, I feel like I have um, sort of begun to tackle this issue. I, I just want to mention, I, um, uh, was motivated to do this because of a um, conference or a seminar that I'll be leading for a colleague in um, in Hong Kong uh, because of a, a a major celebrity drama that um, has sort of interested people in Hong Kong and Asia, and in which the term you know narcissistic personality disorder has been thrown around. So I really appreciate this chance to begin to put my thoughts together. If you have any questions, you are welcome to contact me at leadershipwithmercy.com. And um, also, I think, can we put in the show notes, Benny, um, some of the references that I gave? I just want to, yeah, just to mention the uh, psychologist, uh, Romani, again, who I think is a good resource, not a systems thinker but for people who are really in the weeds with this, um, then um, that I think that, you know, you can sort of get some support for coming out, but I would encourage you to take a longer view uh, and to take some time to kind of recover from this. If you think you have, you are, you meet the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder, then I also encourage you to seek help from a, a licensed mental health provider. I think it's very important that you seek a licensed mental health provider for this type of problem. Um, so there, um, how, how are we doing, Benny? You have about a minute left if you have any parting words for today's show. Okay, well, I guess my parting words is that I um, just really appreciate your attention and I would certainly welcome any comments you have or um, questions that you have. I, I believe that my perspective can be a little challenging. Um, or maybe it's not as challenging as I think it was. It was, I think, very useful for me. So at any rate, I really encourage a dialogue. And um, yeah, I thank you for your, your participation. This is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show.